Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Death has fascinated and horrified us pretty much since the beginning of time, or at least as far back as we can remember. No, perhaps you don't want to think about your own funeral and what it means for life to just suddenly end in the blink of an eye, but humans are almost inherently fascinated by death. Millennia ago, we watched people fight to the death and be brutally killed in the Roman Colosseum. Only a few centuries ago, public hangings were a form of entertainment. But what about today? Now, those interested in experiencing tragedy and learning from its history have a name all to themselves, dark tourists. Dark tourism is more than just going to a haunted house with some flashlights and a Ouija board, hoping to get a ghost's attention. I heard that three men had been poisoned about six months prior before I bought it. There was a man that he committed suicide in. To my understanding, haunted tourism has these ghost hunting vibes, whereas dark tourism occurs in places with dark historical significance. Think of anything from concentration camps to asylums to plantations. There can be some overlap, but the dark tourism side of things is where this interest in death is so prevalent. Millions of people partake in it too, traveling all over the world to areas that are considered the most unhappiest places on earth. As the Washington Post explains, from Auschwitz to Chernobyl, from Gettysburg to the site of the Kennedy assassination, visitors are making the worst parts of history a piece of their vacation, if not the entire point. Ghost-themed tours in just the United States bring in around $300 million per year. So I can't possibly imagine how much money dark tourism earns worldwide. This alone isn't really all that surprising or alarming. Plenty of people hardly see this as dark tourism at all. It's just a sign of us being interested in the world in the same way we go to museums. It can help us understand how evil exists. For some, it's a way of reconnecting with our history and our past, or even processing trauma. But for other dark tourists, or maybe just those who consider themselves as such, there's an ethical side to this that also comes into play. When is dark tourism learning about history and when is it about exploiting the dead? Some things we know for sure that cross that line, like when selfies at the Holocaust memorial sites became a problem back in 2019. Like seriously, the Auschwitz Memorial's Twitter account had to ask guests to learn how to walk on a balance beam somewhere else. The tracks they were playing on transported countless people to their deaths, but sure, have some playground fun on them, right? You'd think these tourists would know that. A museum is for learning in case they forgot. And the utter lack of respect shown in these photos is pretty disgusting. Most visitors don't behave this way, but those that do are said to be exploiting tragedy. It reminds me of when TikTokers literally role-played themselves dying in gas chambers and surviving the Holocaust and wearing fake stars of David. But, oh, it was all for the sake of educating, right? No, this is trauma porn and their so-called stories aren't theirs to tell. It trivializes suffering into TikTok views and it's so beyond offensive to survivors and their families. There's some gray area to these dark tourists though. Brienne Mitchell went viral after posting a smiling photo of herself at the Auschwitz concentration camp and received a tremendous amount of backlash. 
However, she had always planned on visiting the site with her father, but he passed away and she was simply smiling at the camera in this photo. She was happy that she'd been able to make the journey, even though it couldn't be with her father. At least she wasn't standing on balance beams anyway. Other pictures like a thumbs up at the Holocaust, Pearl Harbor and 9-11 memorials have also made critics insist that none of these places are appropriate for selfies. You'd think the whole don't take a selfie at the site of a genocide rule would be kind of common sense, but it appears that it's not. Well, here's another question. What about when a group of Israeli students went on a school trip to Poland and took selfies in Auschwitz entitling the caption with my besties in Auschwitz? Would those be okay? Why didn't this draw the same criticism? Should taking a smiling photo at a concentration camp be an unspoken rule for all? And where exactly is the line? With dark tourism, despite its name, very few things are actually black and white. Don't even get me started on what Logan Paul did in the Akigahara forest. And we will talk more about pushing the boundaries of dark tourism later. But this isn't about to be an episode of me shaking my fist and saying these darn kids need to learn respect either. See. When dark tourism is a lucrative business, it's not just a few individuals that don't think before they post to Instagram that make this industry questionable. They're actually only a fraction of the number of dark tourists out there, as many do know how to be respectful. Instead, one of the largest fundamental issues I have is with the locations themselves. I'm not even kidding. Do you see it? I'm not even, this isn't a no. joke, guys. That's a fucking person. Dude, I should have told you. Hello and welcome to the Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati. And today we're gonna to be talking about dark tourism, both the good and bad. Now that we've talked a bit about what dark tourism is and a few clear cut ways that it can be exploitative, let's take a look at what these tourism locations do to escalate this and what can make dark tourism such a questionable industry in the first place. In my opinion, a lot of this just comes down to education. Auschwitz, for example, has guided tours and teaches visitors about the atrocities that happen there. Under the history portion of their website, they open by saying that it's become a symbol of terror, genocide, and the Holocaust itself. They don't try to paint this place in a rosy light and they shouldn't. It's one of the epitomes of human evil and it should be treated that way. However, even if Auschwitz has taken great care to ensure that their tours are educational, some locations are far less sensitive to the tragedies that occurred on their grounds. One of the first that pops into my mind are plantations. You know, they just turn into pretty haunted houses where you can have your wedding and see some spoopy ghosts along the way. Do you see the problem here? Plantations have been called America's concentration camps before, with one plantation in particular, Louisiana's Whitney Plantation, literally being referred to as America's Auschwitz by the Smithsonian Magazine. Whitney Plantation itself opened in 2014 as the country's first slave museum and has truly dedicated itself to revealing the horrors of slavery. This plantation exhibit is no rosy exercise in Southern nostalgia, as the Smithsonian article puts it. And visitors have said that you'll walk out of the museum a changed person, that it's that impactful. But while Whitney is leading the charge in these informative practices, not all plantations have caught up or even tried. Instead, many lead visitors through the big house, chat about the origins of the furniture and the gardens, and then send you on your merry way. The features and exhibitions about slavery weren't even added to Whitney until after it became a registered landmark. 
but incomplete stories persist in present-day plantations that just ignore their histories and registries to this day. Just two years ago, AP published an article stating that the state-operated Kingsley Plantation in Florida takes their sweet time explaining what tabby is in their national register entry, which is a concrete made from oyster shells. And they refer to the home's slave trader as colorful with quote, carefully trained enslaved people. It seems to me like this entry was careful to ignore reality. This is far worse than just disrespectful and it's dangerous to keep supporting this watered down dishonest narrative, whether through tourism or by any other means like events. Many plantations also host weddings, which again, it feels wrong when you considered what actually happened at these locations. Would you host a birthday party at a concentration camp? And if not, then what makes this okay? Is it the pretty view? Owners of these plantations have even listed a 1830s slave cabin on Airbnb before, completely neglecting to mention the origins of the location. Haunted Cottages in New Orleans has also been listed with descriptions saying that these places have a hard past. Turning literal slave quarters into haunted cottages trivializes the horrific dehumanization of black people in the US's history. And seriously, it shouldn't be hard to consider the suffering that happened in these locations. It turns my stomach to know that now, years later, the legacy of exploiting black suffering for profit is alive and well as ever, just so people can make money off of fucking ghost tours. Because sure, there wasn't enough devastation here, so let's make it a ghost tour too. University of Michigan professor Tia Miles told WBUR that she feels this trivializes the experiences of enslaved people. Ghost tours are supposed to be light and fun and frivolous, and people go to enjoy themselves. I think it's a matter of concern for our contemporary social and political relations that it's considered fun to re-experience the violence against enslaved people. Well, let's take a look at one. In this radio interview, Tia also discusses how romanticized these dark tours can be. For example, a slave named Molly and her slave owner had a relationship that just by the dynamic alone, very likely was not at all consensual. He eventually killed her. And according to the tour that Tia attended at Sorrel Weed House in Georgia, Molly now haunts the place. Yet the tour itself presents this whole dynamic as an affair, according to Tia. The Sorrel Weed House isn't alone by any means though. There's enough information about plantations and dark tourism alone to fill a book. And fill a book Tia did. She wrote, Tales from the Haunted South, Dark Tourism and Memories of Slavery from the Civil War Era in 2015. And if you'd like to find out more information about plantations and dark tourism specifically, it'll be in my sources below as source number 18. It's an absolutely fantastic, but horrific read. Unfortunately, it's not just plantations sensationalizing history and causing real damage by doing so either. Old out-of-use asylums are also popular spots for dark tourism, and they too are subject to harmful sensationalism. And this isn't new, not in the slightest. In fact, asylums were toured long before they were out of use too. According to Psychology Today, back in the mid 1800s, asylum superintendents regularly encouraged visitors to come and tour the grounds. Patients were encouraged to interact. But back then, this wasn't necessarily about voyeurism or exploitation. Instead, superintendents wanted people to see that they were safe and these tours were about educating the public. Visitors might be briefly locked up or restrained for the purpose of understanding what these hospitals were actually all about. However, as American mental hospitals became more overcrowded and their quality plummeted towards the end of the 19th century, so too did this form of educational tourism. Now, it is possible to tour old mental hospitals like these in a respectful way, of course. 
when the lives of the deceased residents are considered. The Oregon State Hospital for Mental Health in Salem, Oregon seems to be on the right track. The museum board president, Catherine Dysart, told writer Teresa Bergen that they use first-person vocabulary. In other words, they don't refer to anyone as schizophrenics. Instead, they use language like people with schizophrenia. Catherine explains, these are people who have their own stories behind mental illness. They also don't talk about ghost stories or paranormal stuff as it's dehumanizing. But while there are educational museums, there are also tours that, as simply described by the Public Disability History blog journal, are grotesque. PDH says that some of these unofficial historic tour leaders aren't just sensationalizing, but giving downright factually incorrect information. At the Powerhouse of Terror, later renamed to Lakeshore Tunnel Tours, one tour guide said that patients were allegedly shackled to a wall when they had episodes and quote, men and women sat with their hands banded together by shackles while they screamed in the glow of the candlelit hallways. However, this facility was separated by gender and electricity was widely available, so that doesn't add up. Instead, it feels like this tour guide just told their spooky, creepy story without any regard for facts and the lives of people that actually stayed there. The same tour guide also stated that cells were for bad patients and how patients created tunnels for something to do. But they neglected to describe what bad actually meant or emphasize that this tunnel digging was actually an exploitation of patients' unpaid labor. Again, it's not the fact that these dark tourism spots exist that bothers me, but it's the way in which people with mental illnesses are addressed that's so upsetting. Of course, there are plenty of other kinds of locations that can qualify as spots for dark tourism. I'd even spoken about the Shanghai tunnels in my Patreon, which also falls into this realm, though the stories around them can be chalked up to mostly myth. There's also prisons, KGB headquarters, and even former Native American residential schools that are now being used for dark tourism. I've discussed the tragedies and atrocities committed in the Canadian schools before, and thinking about these places being used for dark tourism, especially with the recent discoveries being made, is deeply upsetting and terrifying. Yes, we should value these places, preserve them, and lift up the voices of those affected by the tragedies that occurred there. Those that live there deserve to be so much more than just a ghost story for entertainment. But how do we know when dark tourism crosses a hard line in the sand? What are the rules? Please note that this next section will mention and briefly discuss suicide. Now, the Washington Post published an article in 2019 called How to Navigate the Etiquette of Dark Tourism with a list of rules to follow. These range from not touching gravestones as the oil from your hands can erode the surface and keeping in mind that you're visiting something considered holy by others if touring a religious site. Naturally, rethinking selfies is also on the list as we mentioned earlier. Again, most people going on these tours do know this. I don't want to imply that all dark tourists are disrespectful people. What makes dark tourism such a murky topic is the fact that it relies on intention. See, if you're going to the 9-11 Memorial because you want to respect those who lost their lives or visit the catacombs in Paris to learn about their fascinating tunnel systems, then have at it. But if you visit Auschwitz and think it would be a good place for a photo shoot or to gain more followers, then it's probably best for you to stay away. And the same goes for locations too. If a family is getting rich off of using a plantation for weddings and deliberately ignoring the historical significance of that area, then yeah, that sounds like some unethical exploitation going on. One travel blog I found debating the ethics of dark tourism called Where the Road Forks uses the example of a business offering slum tours of the favelas of Brazil or the Kibera in Nairobi. If a tourism company is getting rich from this, then yes, they are profiting from the poverty and suffering of others. 
I was curious to see if these sorts of universal rules around respect and intent are actually universal. And I found an interesting article from Norway Today that talks about dark tourism, reiterating some of the points we've already made. No, this curiosity is not new, and it's controversial to varying degrees all over the world. However, they added that in Utoya, there was a planned 722 memorial for the July 7th, 2011 terror attacks. Plans for the memorial drag on as some think it'll cause too much psychological pain, not helped by how other memorials have been treated in recent years. The Berlin Holocaust Memorial was used for a series of photos called the Yolo Cost in 2017. And even if TV shows like Chernobyl bring in more tourism for that area, it's still obviously a sore spot for the community. While the proposed memorial, Memory Wound, has been controversial in of itself, this isn't helped when those affected have to consider how it may be treated. As Norway Today explained, locals both fear a re-traumatization and simply do not want the area to become filled with gawking tourists. Visiting, learning, attempting to understand versus gawking and disrespecting, I think there's a clear line between them. Some may consider it a fine line, tricky to navigate, but it becomes pretty obvious when someone jumps right over it, like Logan Paul. This was the perfect time to do it because if you look to my right, Logang, I give you the Aoki Gahara Forest. Ooh. No, don't make fun of it, Brandon. This is a big deal. Why? Because this forest is also known as the Sea of Trees, also known as the Japanese. This is not a fucking joke. Now, unfortunately, I was keenly aware that I was going to be unable to make an episode on dark tourism and exploitation without at least mentioning it. Logan Paul and the Okigahara forest scandal. For those of you that don't remember what happened there, YouTuber Logan Paul went to this forest, which is known as a frequent place where people commit suicide and make jokes about it in his words about how spooky and haunted it is. While he was in there, Logan and his team did in fact find a body and proceeded to use it for clickbait for the episode. Were they there to educate or learn? It certainly doesn't seem that way when Logan posted the video saying, I found a dead body with his stupid little clickbaity face. This isn't even dark tourism anymore. Instead, it's trivializing a serious tragic topic and the absolute grossest form of thrill seeking. These kinds of tourists tend to agree that this is where intent matters. If you're visiting an active war zone for the thrill of it, then yeah, people are justifiably going to wonder why you think so little of human life and the agency of victims. Suicide spots are also pretty dubious here as the book, I Am the Dark Tourist explains, since they're the most likely spot for any dark tourist to actually witness death. For example, San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge has someone jump from it about every two days, even with the walkways closed at night. And the Nanjing Yangtze River Bridge is the most popular site for suicide on a global scale. Now, maybe you visited these bridges just as an average tourist as they are beautiful on their own, but there's no denying the dark significance they hold for many. One of those epic days in San Francisco, driving across the Golden Gate Bridge. It was crystal clear, the bay was calm. There were tourists. The 2006 the documentary, The Bridge, showed just how controversial they can be when the filmmakers caught footage of people jumping and still released it as a documentary, demonstrating how frequently suicide occurs there. So you may wonder, well, how is this any different from Logan Paul? In my opinion, it again comes down to intent. The 2006 documentary's primary goal was to spread awareness. And as the director told the crew, they were people first and filmmakers second. In other words, whenever they could save someone, they did make an attempt. They did interview a survivor to understand his story. And while it may be a controversial documentary, I'd hardly call it voyeuristic or sensationalized. Especially when you contrast that with Logan Paul's video. 
Logan did not do his due diligence when he walked into that forest. He didn't interview survivors and victims of families and treated the place with any form of sensitivity. His aim didn't seem to be creating a dialogue until after the backlash. Plus, the director of the bridge didn't fucking laugh after they saw someone jump in the way Logan Paul did. You may say he laughed out of nervousness, but again, why include that in your final product when you have the ability to edit and cut that? It's mocking, belittling, and disgusting. And I think that's where these two videos differed and they demonstrate why intent is so important. Plus, as the world around us only grows more tragic, keeping this in mind is more crucial than ever. And before we continue on to talk about the modern dark tourist, I'm gonna take a quick moment to place today's sponsors here. There wasn't really a better place for it. So I do apologize. I tried to put it as far towards the end of the episode as I could. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month. And now for the plot twist. Well, except there isn't one. Seriously, Mint Mobile just has premium wireless from 15 bucks a month. There's no trapping you into a two-year contract or opening the bill to find all sorts of crazy fees. There's no luring you in with free subscriptions to streaming services that you'll forget to cancel and be charged full price for. There's absolutely none of that. There was once a phone carrier I used to have, I'm not gonna say too much about them, but I had a phone with them and I canceled the phone plan because their service was honestly just God awful and I could never like connect to anybody. I could never text or call everyone. My calls were always dropped. It was a nightmare. And then when I did get around to finally canceling the service, they then didn't cancel it internally despite the fact that I had the signed document saying I canceled and then they attempted to put me into collections. So real great stuff. But with Mint Mobile, everything is very easy to understand. It's very transparent, it's very straightforward, and it's simple. You pay for what you want, don't pay for what you don't want. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. So if you're ready to get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month and no unexpected plot twists, make sure you go to mintmobile.com slash casket. That's mintmobile.com slash casket. Seriously, you'll make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash casket. And the seasons are changing, we're entering the fall season and it feels like everything is winding up and getting very busy as we're nearing the end of the year. And that's why you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. With HelloFresh, ingredients are traveling from the farm to your doorstep in less than seven days. So you know it's gonna be fresh. Plus, pre-portioned ingredients make cooking a snap and cut down on food waste. And HelloFresh works with your ever-changing schedule. Plans are super flexible, so you can choose your meals for the week, update your preferences, or change your delivery day all within the HelloFresh app. And speaking of those changes, HelloFresh is offering vegan recipes on the menu every week made without animal products of any kind like dairy, meat, eggs, or honey. Enjoy meals like sweet chili tofu bowls or spicy coconut curry stir fry, which is delicious by the way. So if you're ready to light up your taste buds for this fall season, make sure you go to hellofresh.com slash casket65 and use code casket65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash casket65 and use code casket65 for 65% off plus free shipping. The relationship we have with dark tourism, or more scientifically speaking, thanatourism, is a pretty complicated one. Papers and research about the topic are on the rise. And as you can probably tell from this episode alone, there's a lot of varying opinions. Some believe that this term should include violence, like people that might enjoy visiting a museum of torture. 
Some believe that it should extend to crime, while others feel that the umbrella label of death and suffering is too broad to explain what dark tourism really is. Researching the motives and intentions of these tourists has also been explored, with the vast majority of people attending for curiosity and education's sake, while others had personal connections to the site. Yet, no matter how much research we do about connecting to the past, it may be difficult to truly put ourselves in history's shoes. None of you listening to this episode can understand how a Roman slave really felt almost 2000 years ago. We can try to imagine, but we really do have difficulty comprehending what it must've felt like when they get tossed into the Colosseum to die in front of thousands of spectators. And the young visitors that take selfies at concentration camps will never know what it was actually like to be transported to Auschwitz on those same railings that they balance on. So how do we put this in today's context? Well, we can start by looking at some of today's tragedies. Gun violence and school shootings are on the rise, begging the question if the memorials for them could one day become dark tourism attractions. In some instances, we've simply raised locations where these tragedies occur. Local residents recently wanted the Uvalde School in Texas to be bulldozed. The Ariel Castro torture house was demolished and the Parkland School has been closed to the public ever since the shooting. It's understandable why residents would want these places gone and removed from their site. In part, maybe it's to help people move on, but I can't imagine how upsetting it would be to see these schools and other mass shooting locations become hotspots for ghost hunters in the years to come. Daniel Reynolds, writing for the Washington Post, wrote that while it may feel like far too soon to start considering how the memorials at Columbine or even Parkland will be viewed in the future, it's a conversation that we should have now. Quote, while the desire to memorialize tragedy is understandable, this trend raises an important question. Will these monuments to the victims of gun violence become dark tourism attractions? And if they do, will they be sentimental but ineffectual reminders of gun violence? or will they move visitors to end the scourge in our culture? How violence is memorialized matters. Commemorative spaces can become focal points for movements to spread awareness and inspire activism. Dark tourism is after all, a newly coined concept, even if it's been around for a while. Authors like J. John Lennon and Malcolm Foley started using it in 1996. As we learn more about it and the history we preserve, then maybe we can help future generations learn from today's tragedies too. To an extent, we already do see this preservation happening. The Ohio State Reformatory, for example, was in use from 1869 all the way until 1990. And in 1994, it was the film set for the Shawshank Redemption. Though it was spared from demolition, the building is maintained to this day thanks to ticket sales. People visit it because of its spooky reputation. So at the end of the day, it seems like a win-win for old architecture and for ghost hunters looking for a place to take some good pictures. Other areas embrace haunted tourism and perpetuate relatively harmless legends like the Mothman to bring in that ghost hunter money, even if their stories aren't really based in tragedy and death. Jan Levstick, an architectural historian, says that even if these tragedies using supposedly haunted prisons, old doctor's homes, and cemeteries as tourist hotspots are a bit macabre, they do bring in money to support historical venues. She doesn't object, quote, So long as the tours are providing historically accurate information related to the property and the humanity of the people at those properties and not just the salacious things that can't be backed up beyond hearsay or rumor. To an extent, we could say the same of just about anywhere listed today. Tourism money is money, right? At least in capitalism, money is money and money makes the world go around here. But where that money goes is still important. If you are a dark tourist, then please, by all means, visit these places and learn from them. 
Just consider if the tour you've chosen is going to uplift the victim's voices or just sensationalize them. And if you're respecting those that once lived there. But with all of that being said, that is where I'm ending today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new here today. And if you did, make sure that you're following, liking, and subscribing so that you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode, and I will see you in the next one. Bye.